Hello, everyone. I'm Christopher Kent, and this is our philosophy program for this month. And with me today is a longtime friend and uh, not a stranger to On Purpose, Dr. Matthew McCoy. And today we're going to be kicking off um, something a little bit new. Dr. McCoy will be discussing risk management and some of the political issues in chiropractic. And uh, I've decided that since there are so many timely issues relating to this, that uh, he's going to be on the rotation for our, our guests. So uh, we'll be having, I don't know, every few months, uh, a risk management section, which I, I think you'll find very useful. So, Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Okay. Well, it's raining <laughs> all, all things considered. <laughs> well, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm on the web, and, you know, it's not a question of if or when. It's already happening. So... If that isn't a, a chilling harbinger of things to come, uh, that's that's my latest uh, McCoyism that I see on the on the web. <laughs> it is happening, that's for sure. It's just yeah, a matter of whether or not people are aware of it. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So, uh, how to start? Well, I think everyone knows you, uh, so we can probably dispense with the how did I get into chiropractic, but maybe just just to set the context a little bit uh you know tell them about your background in chiropractic and how uh, as you often said you know don't don't shoot the messenger uh you know i grew up with this stuff exactly yeah so that's pretty much what happened i grew up in chiropractic i started going to a chiropractor as a young kid um maybe 7 8 years old somewhere around there um one of my first chiropractors was Sarah Soli, Pasquale Sarah Soli. I have an older brother who is, a, who, uh, is and, and was a chiropractor who pretty much got me into this crazy profession. Um, you know, I can, I've told the story many times. I can remember driving around with him and listening to audio cassettes uh, of Sid Williams, you know, talking about chiropractic and and the importance of chiropractic and all that stuff. I spent time at DE as a young kid uh, and, you know, essentially, you know, grew up, uh, you know, in terms of my pedigree and, and the lens through which I see chiropractic, I grew up among this straight faction of chiropractic. And I'm using air quotes that nobody can see when I say the word straight. Because, you know, that term really doesn't have any meaning anymore these days within chiropractic. And, and if it does have any meaning, it's really associated with, you know, an, a negative connotation or a hate straight sort of uh, notion to it. Um, so I grew up around that faction of chiropractic, you know, when that term meant something. And so it's the lens through which I, I, I look at a lot of things in the profession. And, you know, making a long story short, I, I grew up, I ended up in chiropractic college at a young age. Uh, I started at 19 years old at, at Life, U, Life University or what was Life College back then. And, um, you know, here I am uh, 30-something years later, and, uh, you know, we're in the thick of things. Uh, so, 
you know, my perspective at this point in terms of the lens through which I see stuff is, is filtered by, you know, the different stuff that I do in the profession. So I run a malpractice insurance uh, company along with my partner, uh, Anthony Carino. And I also, you know, publish research journals and um, work with you as the vice president of the Foundation for Vertebral Subluxation. And, you know, we're engaged in research and, and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, we because of the risk management stuff, because of the malpractice stuff, I see a lot of the seedy underside of the profession. I see a lot of the negative stuff that's going on. And, and on top of that, because of the publishing that I do, you know, in addition to the research journals, I also publish an online newspaper uh, that's really focused on exposing some of the, you know, nonsense that's going on in terms of the attacks against chiropractors who practice in a subluxation, vitalistic, salutogenic model. Um, so I, 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 you know, I get sent stuff, I get, you know, plain manila packages sent to me in the mail. I get anonymous emails sent to me in the mail, you know, people giving me the heads up on stuff that's going on. Uh, so I see a lot of the negative stuff that, you know, a lot of times I should say probably most of the time the average chiropractor doesn't see. And I think making matters worse for our side of the profession or our faction of the profession, I should say at this point, uh, making matters worse is that, you know, I think chiropractors who practice in a subluxation, vitalistic sort of model, they don't tend to even want to think about the negative. You know, they want to bury their heads in the sand and, and sort of focus on their patients and focus on the practice, their practice. Meanwhile, we have all these political shenanigans and regulatory board, you know, shenanigans going on that are actually working to stop them from doing the things that they love. Well, um, we had a, a very enthusiastic listener who uh, was associated with a practice management group, and he always talked great about on purpose and so forth. And one day we were discussing some matters in the profession, and I said, well, we spent a lot of time on that on last on purpose. And he said, oh, he said, I never listened to politics. He said, I ignore that one. It's, it's just too negative. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, it is until, you know, they come after you. <laughs> so, Well, that's, you know, how many, uh, how many meme quotes are there that speak to that issue, you know? Uh, in terms of waiting until they come after you, you know, yes. um, and, and the whole notion. But of I mean, the, maintaining a state of contrived ignorance is not a way to deal with the future of the profession or your individual future. Well, you know, and that brings up a good point because, uh, you know, the the past, I'd say the past year when I've been out there uh, lecturing and, you know, and most of the stuff that I do is related to risk management and, 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 you know, these kind of things because of the nature of what I do. And so I do a lot of the required hours when I'm teaching in all these different states. And I've, this past year, I, I sort of really changed the direction I was going in, uh, when, when I've been presenting to chiropractors out in the field, because what's happening in the profession is really just a microcosm of what's happening, you know, in the larger culture, what's happening in society as a whole. 
literally around the world, uh, you know, for the most part. Um, and, and we're being affected by it. And I, I'm not sure that chiropractors really understand that the things we're dealing with are really bigger issues that are going on around the world. You know, the, this, this, uh, the, the issues with vaccination probably, you know, being the best example. You know, if you're on Facebook or social media, you see chiropractors losing their minds over, you know, what's going on relative to vaccination and the loss of personal autonomy and, and the loss of, uh, you know, consent and, you know, the, the, our rights being taken away from us in terms of just you know, being able to manage our own children. <clears throat> and so these same issues, these same political uh, happenings are also happening within the profession in terms of, you know, aside from vaccination issues, but are you even allowed to manage vertebral subluxation anymore? And, and the reality is, if you look at other countries, if you look at the United Kingdom and Australia and Canada, I mean, we're at a point where you literally cannot manage vertebral subluxation anymore in those countries in and of itself. Um, and I think if people look at those other countries and they see the reality of what's happening there, a lot of times I think they look in their own backyard in the United States and say, well, everything seems to be okay here. And, and that's very deceiving. Because, you know, we have 50 states and so everybody's not aware of what's going on in all these states. And I can definitely testify, you know, for sure that those same things are happening within this country. We just don't hear about it as much because, you know, we're, there's so many different states and because everybody's kind of doing their own little thing and in their own little tribe and may not hear about it. So what's so going on in the U.S.? Uh, share, share some of that. Well, really the same issues, really tied to the same issues uh, in terms of what's going on in these other countries. And, you know, if I had to boil it down, you know, to, to maybe the, the, the most common denominator, I'd say, I'd say that at this point in the history of the profession, and, and I think I think the, this is really marked by what just came out uh, from the ACA just within the past couple of days. Uh, the ACA has now launched a, uh, pu a public-facing website for patients, basically, for the public, intended to educate you know, the public in, in the United States on what chiropractic is. And so what's happened in this country, and with the ACA really leading the charge for that, I think, is is chiropractic has essentially become, you know, and I say this sort of as a joke, but it's become the unsticking of stuck joints. I mean, we've gotten to a point where the neurological component of, of the vertebral subluxation has been removed from what we do, and we're left with a musculoskeletal model. And in some cases, depending upon where you look, uh, there might be some remnants of the nervous system there, but it's sort of as an afterthought. <clears throat> so we have this situation where, you know, the care of patients ends up becoming, you know, palpating up and down their spine, looking for taut and tender fibers and the high spots and then pushing down on them until you hear a crack. And, and you know, that sounds like it's a joke. 
But when you read the research that's being put out by the subluxation deniers and the cartel that controls the research journals, that's what the research is is pushing. It's pushing this just gross spinal manipulation uh, for articular dysfunction and stuck joints and the the use of manipulation to alleviate that. And of course, that all has to be tied to some type of musculoskeletal pain syndrome. And so anybody practicing outside of that circle really has a bullseye on their back at this point. You know, if we're talking about the trauma risk management perspective. And the bullseye on their back is because the people who control the regulatory boards in the country, and this part is nothing new because this has always been the case for decades, the people who control the regulatory boards, meaning the people who control your ability to to get and have a license and keep your license, uh, are part of this chiropractic cartel that wants to move the profession in this direction to be really a subset of medicine and and with this sort of tool bag that all we can do is deal with, you know, some musculoskeletal pain syndromes that the powers that be decide, you know, it's okay, let's let them have that. So that's sort of, I think, in a nutshell where, where we're at with this. Well, tell us a little bit about the cartel. Um, it's something that we've alluded to in the past, but we have some new listeners. And, and, and I think a, a quick overview on... Uh, how that term came to be used in this context is is instructive, and and just what they're pulling off because they're boiling the frog and a lot of people aren't realizing it. Yeah, I think that frog is pretty much boiled at this point and, and floating dead on the top of the <laughs> pan yeah. of water. Um, so the chiropractic cartel, for for those that aren't are, you know aren't really familiar with this and those that are maybe a refresher, uh, you know I, I think it's important to. One thing, make sure everybody knows I didn't come up with that term. It's not something, you know, we conjured up. Uh, this term, uh, the cartel, the chiropractic cartel actually came out of um, came out of two places. And I'm not even sure which came first. Mm. Um, the first the first article written on this, the first uh, thing that that was sort of in in the in the public sphere was written by Don Harrison uh, back when, I mean, the magazine, the uh, newspaper still exists, but he doesn't have a print version of it anymore. But this is when he had his print version of his newspaper before he died. And Don wrote an article that basically, he even had a picture in that article where he drew a, a graphic of what he described as the chiropractic cartel and how the, the various factions of the chiropractic cartel interact with each other, and more importantly, how the money flows through the chiropractic cartel. So the chiropractic cartel is made up of all the various um, trade organizations and, and uh, regulatory boards and quasi-governmental organizations in chiropractic, for example, like the Federation of Chiropractic Licensing Boards, the FCLB. Uh, it's not really a government entity, although they like to think that they are, and they seem to portray themselves as having some you know, relationship uh, as a government ent entity, uh, entity um, even though they're not. So this cartel has all this power in the profession, 
And that power in the profession comes from the fact that in order to get licensed in any state in the country, and for that matter, at this point, any place in the world that licenses chiropractic, because the cartel is an international cartel at this point, in order to get licensed anywhere to practice chiropractic, you have to graduate from a CC-accredited institution, a, a school that's accredited by the Council on Chiropractic Education. So that's the first hoop. The second hoop is you have to take all parts of the national, all four, four parts of the national boards in order to get a license. So you have these two hoops you have to jump through. And so those two things give them a monopoly. Uh, and the United States Department of Education, you know, before I was talking about the, the first uh, sort of public discussion of this was when Harrison published his article on it. But the first government uh, mention of this, the, it was actually mentioned by the United States Department of Education, by the committee that um, accredits accrediting agencies, that recognizes accrediting agencies in the United States Department of Education. So they actually referred to this you know, group of organizations within the profession as a cartel, and they discussed how they have a monopoly within the profession. And this happened, uh, I want to say, you you may remember better than me the exact time this happened, but this was, what, five years ago, seven years ago, when the CC up, was up for renewal of its recognition with the United States Department of Education, uh, where this discussion took place. So, you know, this notion of a cartel operating in the profession isn't, you know, some silly idea or something we just made up. I mean, this is something that was recognized by the government. And, and when, they, when they recognized that, when they told us that, they also told the profession that, listen, we know this exists, but there's nothing we can do to help you. That you as a profession, you guys have to go back and figure this out. Uh, and there was a number of things that they told us that we should do about it. One of those being that we needed to set up an, uh, you know, a, an alternative accrediting agency or another accrediting agency. Um, so, so this cartel exists, and it might help to go back, maybe even to the the beginning of this and and how that even started, just very briefly, going back to 1974 when the CCE, the Council on Chiropractic Education, was first recognized by the Department of Education. You know, we took all the many years of infighting between the ICA and the ACA that, you know, you've talked about many times on On Purpose. Uh, and finally, the, um, the CCE got its recognition. And after the CCE got its recognition by the government, the CCE went to the Federation of Chiropractic Licensing Boards and said, hey, you know, we did our job. We got recognized by the Department of Education. Now it's time for you guys, meaning all the state boards, to do your job. And what they meant by that was to make it a requirement that in order to get licensed in any state in the country, that you have to graduate from a CC accredited institution. And so these regulatory boards in the United States that are controlled by you know, people that are not friendly to subluxation-based management, you know, in terms of chiropractic, uh, they worked 
to either change their statute, change the language in the statute, or to adopt rules or regulations that made it a requirement to graduate from a CCA-accredited school. So, you know, it's funny. I was lecturing uh, one of the last lectures I did uh, this this year, and I said, you know, I made the comment that, you know, I, I run a malpractice company. I would love to have a monopoly on malpractice insurance in the chiropractic profession. I mean, wouldn't that be nice, you know, that everybody had to buy their malpractice insurance from me or even, you know, on purpose? What if on purpose was the only place you could get your information in chiropractic, you know, and everybody had to sign up and, and, and you know, pay, pay you or pay me in order to get that service? That's essentially what we have. Uh, and, it, and it's, you know, Besides being un-American, <laughs> it's just completely, you know, anti-capitalist and it's, it's, it's crazy making when you really sit down and you look at it and you see it and you see it in action on a daily basis, you know, you just kind of scratch your head and wonder, how is this allowed to continue? How do people allow this to continue? So that's kind of, you know, the cartel in a nutshell, I guess. Well, it's very interesting. If you look at the history of professional regulation in the United States, you know, many people don't realize that there was a time when while physicians wrote prescriptions, you didn't need one. You could go to the pharmacy and get whatever you want. I'll have a pound and a half of cocaine, uh, you know. <laughs> okay, that'll be, uh, you know, 16 cents. Okay, you know. Um, <laughs> But, you know, things changed when they started to regulate. There was a time in the 1800s, in the relatively early 1800s, when the first attempt was made to regulate medicine. And interestingly, the medical practice acts that were promulgated at that point in time were almost universally declared unconstitutional because they said that they... Uh, unlawfully restricted the ability of individuals to lawfully contract with one another, and uh, you're, you you have a right to make a living. So exactly. Said, you know you can't do that. But it all changed, and you know now now we get back to uh, the late nineteen eighteen uh, hundreds rather when you know DD was doing his thing and got nailed for practicing medicine without a license. Case law changed. And the courts held that states could pass laws operationalizing what they called the police power of the state, which allowed regulation of health, safety, and welfare. And whoa, that was shocking. Yeah, um, what was right? That is when it all began. That's when we started to see things like the Jacobson case, which held that mandatory vaccination was legal. Uh, we saw Buck versus Bell, where they said that the same principle that sustains mandatory vaccination can support mandatory sterilization. Yes, right here in the United States happened to many men and women, some of whom right. were never apprised of the fact that it was going on. And, and that's when the, the real change took place. This whole concept of the police power of the state and providing for health, safety, and welfare. And the notion that rather than being an autonomous human being, rather than being 
a citizen in your own right, you have an obligation to the collective, to the state, and we'll tell you what that obligation is. Uh, and, and all of this just, just really flies in the face of, of everything America stands for. And I, I didn't mean to go down that bunny hole. But as you said, this is really reflective of, of the larger society, not just chiropractic. Well, no, I mean, I think what you know what you just laid out is exactly the direction we were going in terms of the discussion because if you if you look at the bigger picture of things, right, we have the loss of free speech. and you know and and to even get into uh, I was having a conversation not too long ago with somebody about this and and all of this seemed new to them. And it's almost like, where do you start? You know, if people don't realize that that they're, ability that their right to to speak freely is being taken away from them and they don't realize that it's like i don't even know where to begin to to talk about that yeah we have the erosion of free speech we have Mm -hmm. and, and then we have you know the next step of that which is compelled speech which you know it's not about what you're allowed to say it's what you must say. <laughs> yes. Well, for example, uh, naturopaths that are licensed to practice in Colorado that care for children are compelled to recommend vaccination. Right. And well, and we have that now in the chiropractic profession, thanks to our northern neighbors in Canada, right? Where, you know, the, the, the scope of practice, their law says to chiropractors, you cannot talk about vaccination. But then the regulatory boards and the trade organizations in Canada say you have to tell them that vaccination is safe and effective. I, I mean, it's but you in talk your about article, crazy. You notice the, the backpedaling that they did and they said, uh, cancel that. You know, you really can't comment on it at all. But uh, well, well, that was know, from the, the trade organization. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because they they even went as far to tell people that they should get on social media to tell chiropractors to get on social media and to tweet out how vaccination is safe and effective. They gave them the hashtags for it. Yeah, I um, saw and then they had to send them another email <laughs> and say, oh, you know, cancel that. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, but then we just had the um, Canadian Chiropractic Association come out, you know, and and with their, you know, pro-vaccination, it's safe and effective statement. Um, and when you read the, you know, and this was, you know, one of those things, you know, where I get these uh, things sent to me. Um, when you read the communication between the public health authorities in Canada and the Canadian Chiropractic Association, uh, it, it's clear that the Canadian Chiropractic Association is basically just doing this. Now, maybe they also believe that vaccinations are safe and effective, um, you know, uniformly. I mean, these are uniform statements. There is no nuance to these statements. They're just making blank statements that they're safe and effective. And they also admit then that they're doing it so that they can be accepted by the public health authorities. Yes, in and, and, and they said this in print. <laughs> that's, that, that's what blows my mind. They're not saying, you know, uh, I guess the thing that's most blatant about these trade organizations is is their self-serving nature. Um, most people kind of try and disguise that or, or pretend 
that they're doing something for the welfare of the patient, but they're saying, no, you know, we just want more credibility. (laughs) (laughs) We don't don't care what the facts are. Heck, we haven't done any investigation. You know, it's frightening. Yeah, it really is. And and I think what, uh, you know, because I obviously, I mean, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. You and I, you spent a lot of time thinking about it. We spent a lot of time talking about it. I think, you know, in terms of looking back, you know, because I'm looking back over the, the past 30 years or even, you know, beyond that, growing up in chiropractic and what I knew about chiropractic and and. And the you know chiropractic was a movement, and it was a movement to change healthcare. It was a movement to change all this brainwashing you know that people are brought up with, and it's become so clear to me that all of that's gone. I mean, there's some remnants of that still left in the profession, you know, with maybe people like you and I and others that maybe have been around and been through you know the old days, but. That's not the, you know, the controlling majority of people who are out there in the profession. And I think what's happened, you know, very slowly and insidiously over, you know, a few decades is because the schools, you know, have been controlled by the cartel and they're only allowed to teach what the cartel tells them to teach. They've churned out you know, all of these graduates, uh, chiropractors, who, for the most part, you know, there's exceptions here and there. I mean, there might be, you know, I mean, I just know from teaching at a chiropractic college for 20 years that, you know, there's maybe about, if you have a class of 100, there's 10%, you know, 10 students that are going to think differently than the rest, you know, but but most of them are just kind of going along. Because they made a career choice, you know, they didn't get into chiropractic because of a life-changing event or because they came from a family of chiropractors. They got into chiropractic because somebody told them it was a good way to make money. And look, the government will give you loans, you know, all the money you need to, to get that education. And so we have these, you know, all these chiropractors that have graduated over the past few decades that... You know, they're just in the profession to make a living and, and you know, get on with their life and that sort of thing. You know, the, the hell with whatever the profession is supposed to stand for or anything else. And so now we have organizations like the ACA or the Canadian Chiropractic Association, all these trade organizations that I think are just seizing on that and just taking what you know, all these graduates over the past few decades, uh, you know, have been taught and believe and just creating a vehicle for, for that in terms of marketing and so forth. You know, and if you look at the ACA's new website that's directed towards the public, I mean, it's, you know, all the evidence for it is right there. I mean, it's, it's to me, it was when I was looking at it uh, yesterday, it's sort of the culmination, I think, of decades of this movement, you know, towards the, the um, you know, you're talking about sterilization before, towards the sterilization of the chiropractic profession for all intents and purposes. Uh, indeed. And, you know, that's kind of why I got back into education. I don't know if it's an exercise in futility. I'm hoping not. But um, I guess the question is, what can we do? Um, what can we do to preserve our ability to practice and to um, vouchsafe 
the principle for future generations. Is is there any way? Well, um, as you know, there's there's good news and bad news <laughs> in the answer to that question. Well, you know, I'll take any because... good news I can get. <laughs> well, the good news is that there. The good news is that there's actually some gifts that have been given to us uh, if if we could just get you know enough people in, in our in the in our faction of the profession you know within all these tribes within the profession to to take some action on it and one of them is of course the uh infamous supreme court case uh so this is the um the case with the dentist north carolina dental board yeah go ahead tell them about that in north carolina so a few years ago uh, there were some people in uh, North Carolina that decided to get into the teeth whitening business. They didn't want to pull teeth or fill cavities or any of that kind of stuff. They just they just wanted to sell a product to people to whiten their teeth. And so they got into this business and they were popping up in malls and so forth in North Carolina. And the dentists, you know, got a hold of this information and saw what they were doing and stepped in and the dental board basically told them to cease and desist and said, you know, this is the practice of dentistry. You can't, you can't do that. Well, long story short, it ended up going to the federal trade commission. It ended up going to the United States Supreme court, you know, all the way to the Supreme court of the United States, not state Supreme court, the Supreme court of the United States and the Supreme court of the United States sided with the teeth whitening folks. So the dentist loss. Now, what's what's important for us in that case, and you know, you know better and can explain it better than me. But what I pull out of that is, in that case, the Supremes called these people who sit on these regulatory boards. So if you think about chiropractors sitting on a regulatory board, say in Florida or Georgia or New Jersey or wherever it happens to be. They referred to these people sitting on these regulatory boards as active market players, active market players. So these are people who are making decisions about how you and I can practice what we can and can't do. At the same time, though, they are competitors of ours. And so essentially, the Supreme Court said, listen, if you're going to do that kind of stuff, you need to understand that if somebody decides to sue the board, then you're going to be on your own, meaning you're not going to have the the attorneys from, you know, the, the and the full faith and credit of the state to back you up if a licensee or a potential licensee decides to sue the board for a decision that you made that inures to your benefit, the regulatory board member's benefit, and hurts the practitioner. So this really sent shockwaves through the regulatory boards, not just in chiropractic, and you know, through all professions that are regulated in, in this fashion. And I mean, they, you know, there were two years of boards being trained on this, and and changes in policies within boards and so forth uh, that came out of this. So what this represents for us is a real opportunity. Uh, for chiropractors to really take back control of these regulatory boards. Uh, but the problem is that in order to do that, we've got to have litigants. We've got to have somebody who is wronged by a board that then, you know, 
goes out and, and attempts or tries to sue them and go after them for, for these decisions. Uh, so that's the North Carolina piece anyway. Did, did I kind of get that right or did I miss anything? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the other thing that they said was that there had to be adequate state supervision of these regulatory boards, that they couldn't just kind of run amok on their own. And uh, they, they gave some guidance as to what constitutes that. And I always thought that a nice way of dealing with it without having to uh, litigate yourself would be to talk to some politicians who were interested in the governor's office and say, uh, you know, wouldn't it be groovy if the governor said, we're going to ensure compliance with this Supreme Court case and we're going to reconfigure the regulatory boards and make sure there's adequate state supervision, that they're not dealing in anti-competitive activity, and that they are not uh, creating a monopoly to the detriment of others. And unfortunately, this, this really hasn't gained any traction. And I, I, I somehow think that if we were able to push the right button and, and get the right governor to, to make this an issue, uh, it might start a domino effect. Well, and I may be wrong about this, but my my senses or my feeling is the reason why we're we're not getting those governors to do that is because, you know, our tribe, the the subluxation tribe, doesn't want to get involved in politics, and you know, so I think there's a piece of that. I think there's a piece of they're ignorant about what's really going on and about how serious the situation is. And I think they have no idea that there's a remedy available <laughs> like this. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that that's a it's very frustrating to see, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, the, the potential for an Aikido moment in chiropractic. Uh, and I and and I don't, I'm not sure this really qualifies as it, but because, you know, you have to have an event, you have to have something that happens. Mm -hmm. um, but. You know, if people don't want to get involved and people don't want to take these kind of steps, then then that tool is is just it's not going to be used. And who knows how long it's going to last? You know, I mean, I know enough about politics and the legal world and everything else to know that, you know, things change. So five years from now, 10 years from now, things could circle back in the other direction. Who knows? Um because then the other thing, and, and I don't really understand this completely, but this other thing that's going on, and this has to do with the current administration and, you know, national government, the Trump administration. And, you know, and this isn't about whether you like them, don't like them, or, you know, Democrat, Republican, forget all of that for a second. I don't want anybody to get caught up in all that. But the reality that what's happening is, Within the government of the United States, uh, some of these administrative laws and administrative rules uh, are basically being – the government is essentially saying you can't do that. You, you just can't be making these blanket administrative rules and administrative law. Uh, and so that's another opportunity. I'm not quite – I'm not as familiar with that as I am with this other stuff with the Supremes. Um, but that's another avenue I think that we really have to explore. Oh, well, that's, that's worked in a number of jurisdictions uh, to the detriment of the majority chiropractic groups that were, were pushing these things. I remember um, – 
a number of states, gee, this is a few decades ago, actually, when they were trying to uh, enable the ability to bill for more stuff, they would simply issue a board policy or a declaratory ruling without going through the statutory requirements for promulgation of a rule, which calls for public hearings, even if they are farcical, uh, but they, they have to have them. Uh, they, they have to have input. They have to go through a process. Uh, but they didn't even want to do that. And there's, there's a basic <laughs> principle of law, of course, that um, a regulation cannot contradict a statute. And as a consequence, you know, if, if the, the state law says uh, that uh, you cannot utilize prescription drugs uh, or physical therapy modalities or whatever, and the board says, oh, we'll, we'll just say you can and put it on our letterhead. No, you can't do that. And, you know, part of the rulemaking process is making sure that the rule isn't overreaching and that it doesn't contradict the statute. So um, they have tried to do that. And the times that they have, they've gotten nailed in some cases uh, because the medical people didn't like it. Well, Texas is probably the poster child for that, right? Where, oh, where, sure. Where they, in, in, a, in an attempt to expand the scope of practice, I mean, they started this, uh, Texas Board and the Texas Chiropractic Association started this, I mean, this has to go back almost 10 years oh, when they least. started monkeying with that. So they couldn't change the statute or they, and maybe they didn't even try, but in order to get around going to the legislature, they just promulgated rules that effectively expanded the scope. They started yeah. with needle EMG, uh, then they added the uh, the Vont testing for nystagmus. Uh, you know, it was a whole series of rule changes, and then yeah, of course MUAs. the right acupuncture was another one. Uh, you know, using needles and so forth, manipulation under anesthesia, and so finally the medical board stepped in and sued them. And that's been an ongoing thing. They've been involved in a long ongoing lawsuit. It's still going on. I think they're in an appeal process right now with the Supreme Court in Texas uh, over this issue. And of course, when you when you really step back and look at all of it, and you look at what's going on, the, the fundamentally, and this is what we've been telling our insureds and what we tell any chiropractor that's worried about you know, for example, what's happening in Texas, that listen, you can still manage vertebral subluxation in Texas, regardless of what they're telling you about the sky is falling, the sky is falling, that's still in the statute. Um, so, you know, they, they, the dark side, the cartel is, you know, in order to raise money for their lawsuit, talking about Texas, you know, they're trying to scare the hell out of the subluxation-based chiropractors and saying, oh, my God, you know, if you don't support our lawsuit, if you don't get on our side, you're not going to be able to manage subluxation anymore. Um, you know, and that's just, that's just a tactic they're using to try to, you know, get more money for their lawsuit. Um, but this is a but this is a common thing that's done. And this is the way that they've, you know, even in terms of adding things like national border requirements to these state laws, these are the tactics that they've taken. And one one interesting thing that that uh, you know is a, is a ray of hope, right, is Colorado. Remember, just recently in Colorado, they are going through their sunset review of their statute, 
And one of the things that came came up, and I don't know what the current status is of it right now, but just you know, not more than a month ago, uh, the state of Colorado, not the chiropractors, but the state of Colorado has said to the chiropractic board that they think they need to remove the national board requirement from the statute. They need to they need to remove the name of the national boards from the statute because it's a conflict of interest to be actually naming a a particular company <laughs> in the statute because there could be other companies that are providing testing services that can't compete because there's one named in the statute precisely i mean what an incredible thing to be able to have that kind of a monopoly right yeah i mean that's that's been a problem and if you go back to the old days when CCE first came into its uh, its recognition and the, the effort was made to mandate CCE-only language, one of the things that they said in their memos were, you know, here are some of the problems you might run into. And one of the problems you might run into is that they will say that, uh, you know, it's it's improper delegation of the authority of the board or that you're establishing a, a monopoly and so forth. And of course, in the case of CCE in those days, there could only be one accrediting agency per profession. That's no longer the case. But right. in the in the in the national board situation, uh, there most assuredly could be a competitive testing agency. And Correct. by the way, how much money do they have in the bank? Those of you who have student loans you're paying off, how, <laughs> how much, much money, money? How much of your money do they have in the bank? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but oh, okay. but this but this is an important thing to think about. You know, just just thinking about the national boards for a second, right? So, and and if you you know, we don't have a graphic to show anybody, but if listeners just just think about. All these different organizations, try to imagine all these different organizations in chiropractic, the CCE, all the chiropractic colleges, all the trade organizations, the FCLB, and then you have the international arms of these things, right? And then, and then think about where that money comes from or where the majority of that money comes from. And if you understand that every single graduate from chiropractic college has to take and pass national boards in order to get a license. Think about all that money flowing through the system and think about where that money comes from, right? That money comes from students. And where do those students get their money? They get it from student loans. And who backs those student loans? I mean, these are guaranteed student loans, right? These are taxpayer uh, backed uh, loans. So this is taxpayer money being used to fund a cartel that has a monopoly within a professional organization. You know, I have a brother who um, who uh, is an expert in organized crime without getting into the details of it. And he's been involved in law enforcement his whole life. Um, and years ago, when I first started looking into this, I, I mapped it all. I spent a lot of time with him, showing him all this stuff and mapping it out. And he looked at it. He's like, yeah, it's a criminal enterprise. <laughs> What's the confusion? You know, so anybody else looking at this looks at it and says, yeah, that's that can't be right. 
you know, but the profession just goes along with it. Uh, I, and I, like I said before, I think because uh, for the, the large part of it is because of ignorance. And then I think the rest of it is because of apathy. Um, but that money, so that's, that student loan money funds those organizations. And then the national board, it gives 80% of the FCLB's yearly budget comes from the national board to the FCLB. So the police of the profession, because that's essentially what the FCLB is, gets its funding from the national board, which gets its funding from students, which get their funding from student loans, which is backed by taxpayer dollars. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't make this up if you tried. <laughs> no, it's true. And as you said, people outside the profession have have recognized it. So um in fact, we can't forget Tony Soprano, right? Because at that same oh, hearing, he was, he was actually brought up <laughs> at that hearing. Tell, yes, tell at me. that same hearing where you know they laid out and said, "Listen, chiropractors, you got a big problem. You have a monopoly. You have a cartel that's operating as a monopoly in your profession." At that same hearing, one of the attorneys on that panel compared the CCE to the mafia, compared it to Tony Soprano. I, I mean, that quote is just, it's golden, right? Um, yeah. I, I mean, how much more evidence do we need? Uh, the problem is that there's no, there's no impetus, there's no reason for those who are in power and have that control and have that monopoly to, to give it up, to cede it. So it's going to take the people in the profession, the practicing chiropractors, uh, you know, to do something about it. And unfortunately, we can't count on the schools to do anything about it because the schools, as this attorney on this uh, on the uh, government panel said, the schools are held hostage because if it, let's let's say another accrediting agency was out there doing business and there is another accrediting agency, but right, by the way, um, but none of the schools want to step up to become accredited by it because they're afraid that they're going to get in trouble by the controlling cartel, by the other, by, by the accrediting agency that has complete control over the profession. So if they were to, you know, step up and get accredited and, you know, they see that they did this, you know, they'll come knocking at the door and say, hey, <laughs> what are you doing? You're not allowed to get accredited by them. Or, you know, even worse, that the next site team visit that comes to that school, you know, gets dinged for, you know, violations. And we've seen this happen in, 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 with some of these schools in some of these other countries, you know, uh, that have tried to put forth a, you know, a vitalistic subluxation-centered curriculum. And then the site team comes and, and you know, uh, uh, gives them demerits because they have epigrams on their walls, you know, with quotes about uh, B.J. Palmer. I mean, this is how bad it's gotten. Yeah. So there's really a lot to think about here. And we really need to give some thought, in my opinion, as, as to who to support. Uh, do you want to continue to attempt the failed change from within paradigm? Do you want to seize control of your life? Do you want to allow others to control your professional future? Are you willing to look outside the box? Are you willing to spend some time dealing with the less than delightful business of working with politicians 
attorneys and trying to, to herd these cats that we call chiropractors. Well, I, you know, I think uh, with, the, with the few minutes we probably have left, uh, you know, maybe maybe talking a little bit about some of the bright spots. <laughs> well, let's do that. Uh-huh. You know, uh, and, I, I, and, I was going to subtitle this with uh, with Brian Dooley's uh, moniker for you, you know, uh, <laughs> Dr. Matthew McCoy, the happiest man in chiropractic. <laughs> Definitely. I, I uh, thought I was going to have sore diaphragm. I was laughing so hard. I, <laughs> but yes, let's give them a little bit of hope. We've got uh, about six minutes. So, well, um, I think the first, you know, I think we already talked about a couple of, of them, actually. And when we talked about the fact that we have a Supreme Court case that's on our side, you know, the issue is how do we take advantage of that? We have the the issue of where the United States government, the federal government is saying, listen, you know, you can't be making these administrative changes. Uh, so we have those two, um, you know, pieces. And then I think it may be helpful to talk about where this is being used. So the best example I think of this uh, and is the Florida Chiropractic Society. Uh, you know, here we have this uh, organization, this trade organization in Florida, the Florida Chiropractic Society, which, you know, compared to the other organization in Florida, isn't that big. Um, but they are definitely working very hard towards trying to make these kind of changes and taking advantage of these legal um these legal decisions that, you know, are to our benefit. So, you know, what the Florida Chiropractic Society is doing, I think, is a good example. And, you know, they have hired lobbyists, they've hired these attorneys, and they've rewritten the law in Florida, and they're trying to get some of these changes uh, pushed through in Florida. The one that they started with was removing CCE-only language, and they actually got fairly far with it you know, in their first go round, uh, they got through, correct me if I'm wrong, but they got through the Florida state house, uh, com- uh, subcommittee on health, I believe. And it passed that subcommittee in the last legislative session and got to the Senate. Uh, and that's where things fell apart in the Senate. And primarily things fell apart in the Senate because the cartel showed up in full force because once the cartel saw <clears throat> the headwind that the FCS had made in the House and the support that it got, uh, it got it it got you know its army together and they showed up in the Senate, uh, and that was pretty much the end of it because they walked in with three chiro- chiropractic institutions. They came the Kaiser University's College of Chiropractic Medicine showed up. Uh, National College College of Chiropractic Medicine showed up, and of all the schools, Palmer showed up. And they all testified um, to keep um, the CCE uh, as the sole accrediting agency within the state of Florida in order to get a license. And they conjured up all of these like horror stories of what would happen to the public if the CCE wasn't allowed to decide who got a license. I mean, it was really kind of bizarre because, uh, you know, uh, you know, in the, in the stuff that I published, I mean, we dissected everything that they said. And a lot of what they said just wasn't even true. But they said this, you know, to to the representatives in, in the state of Florida. Uh, 
so there is there is hope in that regard. And I think Florida Chiropractic Society can serve as a model for other organizations. You know, so if people are out there, you know, wondering what they can do in their state, you know, to make a difference and unroll unravel some of this. I think getting in touch with the folks at the FCS would be a good first step. Well, in the few moments we have left, um, let's just touch on this notion of risk management, because that's kind of going to be our, our, our uh, feature moving forward. Um, when one talks about risk management, um, just what does that entail? It's, it's obviously more than just choosing a professional liability carrier. Yeah, so when I talk about risk management, yeah, here's the reality. You can't, you cannot avoid risk, right? There's risk to everything. We are, you know, we're, we're right now sitting on the planet Earth and we're hurtling through space at how many thousands of miles an hour. You know, there's all kinds of risks out there. Uh, just ask the dinosaurs, yeah? Um, and it's the same in chiropractic practice. <clears throat> you know, I... When, when I'm talking to chiropractors about about these issues, I have to get them to understand that you know my job or my role is is not primarily to protect the patient. My job is to defend and protect the chiropractor. Now, in doing that, hopefully, I'm also helping patients uh, because if the chiropractor is minimizing his risk, you know, hopefully, that's playing out uh, in terms of lessening the risk of the patients they're taking care of. <clears throat> so you can't avoid risk. And the other piece of this is, you know, I can't tell chiropractors how to practice, and I don't want to tell chiropractors how to practice. All I can do is explain to chiropractors where their risks lie. And then the chiropractor, the doctor, has to make a decision about how much risk they want to bring into their life, right? I mean, maybe you just throw caution to the wind and you don't really care. I mean, there's a lot of chiropractors that just, you know, have sort of a, uh, an attitude that oh, I'm not going to worry about. It. I'm not going to bring negativity into my life and that kind of thing. You know, that's one way to deal with risk. Uh, the other way is to make a conscious decision, you know, about how much risk you want to take into your life. And, and that involves deciding how far you want to expand your scope. You know, if your state, if you practice in a state like Florida where you can pretty much do anything to anybody, uh, then you have to decide whether you want to practice in, in a broad scope like that or if you want to narrow your own scope. Uh, so that you don't take on all this other risk, you know, really is the bottom line. Um, so that's really what we're talking about, you know, in terms of risk and risk management. Well, we've only got about a minute left. So as is the tradition here on On Purpose, we'll give you the last word and we'll look forward to additional segments specifically addressing risk management topics. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of parting words, um, I mean, we've already said so much about all of this. I think the, I think the bottom line is, you know, if chiropractors are listening to this, they got to get involved. I mean, if if you heard anything over the last 
you know, whatever, 45 minutes or an hour of this discussion and it upset you or it bothered you or, you know, it got you thinking, uh, I'm just, I'm begging you, really, you got to get involved. You got to find out what's going on in your state. You got to find out who is running your state board. Uh, who are, who, and what trade organizations do the people who are controlling your state board belong to? Are they all ACA members? Are they all, you know, are they people, are you have people sitting on your state board that's controlling your right to practice that are part of the cartel that want to continue? continually expand the scope of, of chiropractic and bring chiropractic kicking and screaming into allopathic medicine? Uh, or are they people that have a, uh, you know, a respect for the history and the foundational tenets of this profession? So finding out who's controlling your state board is number one. Uh, finding out who the trade organizations in your state are, you know, probably job number two. Uh, and if you only have one trade organization in your state, chances are that association is controlled by the cartel. And you probably want to think about getting another state organization going. Uh, so there's probably, a, you know, several other things you can do. In fact, I have a list of, you know, top 10 things you can do to, to save the profession. And we can get into some of those other things when we talk in the future. But two of those things are getting involved with your state board and getting involved in your state organization. Uh, so those two things are things that people can do right away to get involved and do something about it. Well, thank you very much for sharing your time with us. I know this is a busy season for us all, and uh, everyone certainly has a lot of food for thought. And as I said, we will, moving forward, be offering more in this area. So with Dr. Matthew McCoy, I'm Christopher Kent. And remember, when you're on purpose, you are not alone.